Sorry to be the one to interrupt the conversations that you're having where it's dry. Um, just incidentally, they still have not updated the industry plan for churches, so I'm hoping that the must-go-outside-a-chat-afterwards bit gets taken out, but who knows, maybe that'll be the government's Christmas present to us, then, an updated industry plan to read through. Good times. Anyway, we're, this is our first in our series uh, for Christmas called A Better Christmas. Although we did have a sneaky, slightly early Christmas sermon a few weeks back when Samuel wasn't able to make it, where we looked at uh, the life of the real St. Nicholas. But today is the official start of our series of A Better Christmas, where we look at the question of there is no longer a need to wait, unlike Christmas, that gets annoying. We're going to open up in prayer as we look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is not distant. We thank you that you are not a God who cannot be known or is so high and mighty that uh, you are unapproachable. We thank you that you are the God who came to us in the middle of our mess. We thank you that you did that for Zacchaeus. We thank you that you are still in the business of doing that today. And we pray as we spend time looking at your word uh, that you might help us to see and appreciate what you have done for us and why the birth of Jesus Christ is truly magnificent. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. As a kid, I loved Christmas. Even those tacky, back when people used to get up to watch TV, to watch cartoons in the morning, I'd watch all of the Christmas specials. The Flintstone one in particular was my favourite. I had it on VHS. Young people, you can Google that to see what VHS is. <laughs> but I even had made up my own word for an experience that I had each year at Christmas. It was called the Sighties, which was that feeling of excitement inside your bellies. I called it, I said, I had the Sighties. Now, you might laugh and say that's a bit of a silly childish word to use. Apparently, the grown-up word is to have butterflies in your tummy. How, how grown-up does that sound? But as excited and as sightful as I was, there was one thing I didn't like about Christmas. You had to wait. It was like there was this cruel, long period that was stretched out, sort of teasing you with it, but you had to wait till the 25th of December to get your presents, and in our household, you weren't allowed out of bed till 6am, which we're not even going to bother with that in our household, because if Kenzie stays into 6am on any day, we think that's wonderful. (laughs) But I reckon it's even crueler today, if that was your experience, because in my day, Christmas stuff probably only started coming into shops at the beginning of December or maybe late November. But now it seems we like September. You go to the shops, you see Christmas stuff everywhere. You hear the Christmas songs playing. And it's just so cruel for a little kid. You're like, this is taking forever. Now, if when I was a kid, if I knew that Jesus Christ was not born actually on December 25th, man, I would have taken that to the High Court of Australia and I would have demanded, I'm getting my gifts now. Now, while I've titled this message, No More Waiting, the point of the message is not about, well, he wasn't born December 25th, let's get our presents now. You might argue that might make for a better Christmas, but our theme in our series this year of a better Christmas is why 
Jesus Christ come into this world, the true meaning of Christmas makes for a much, much better Christmas. Now, even if you've never been to church in your life, you might have heard the Bible reading and thought to yourself, I thought this whole Christmas thing was about Jesus being born. He sounded pretty grown up in that Bible reading. And you'd be right. He was very grown up when that took place in his early 30s. But I want you to imagine this. You go to somebody's 100th birthday celebration and most of the time of the speeches and every person who gets up to give a speech says, oh, Mavis was born. Thanks for coming. And that's all they said. Can you imagine that? Would I, no, they, would, they might start with, on this day, Mavis was born and then they'd go out to unpack what they did with their life in this world and why that was special to know about it. In the same way, we rejoice in Jesus' birth, not just because he was born, but because the Son of God, the Saviour, has entered into the mess of our world to deal with the deep, biggest and deepest problem that every single one of us have. But even centuries before he was born, people were waiting for him. They didn't know specifically Jesus was the one they were waiting for, but they were waiting for a king. They were waiting for someone they called a Messiah who would save the people from their greatest enemy. That was the hope people had before he was born. Once he was born and he was declared to be that one, there was no need to wait. Salvation had come. The Saviour had come. This morning we're going to look at waiting to see Jesus, waiting to be ready, waiting for change. And lastly, no more waiting, live your best life today. And yes, I've intentionally put that phrase in to trigger a few people because I'm not sure it has. But I think we can redeem that phrase. Now, I was out taking my child out to the bathroom beforehand. There was a Bible reading beforehand, wasn't there? Okay, right, good. Just making sure that we all know what passage we're talking about. So firstly, waiting to see Jesus. So it's in the first half of the first century and this is a guy named Jesus. Everyone knows about him. Everybody's talking about him, about these, these, these stories of miracles that he's done, people that he's healed, that he's raised some people from the dead that he even has power over the, the conditions, the weather, it could still and calm the water, it could walk on the water. Now, regardless of what you made of those stories, you've heard enough to think, if this guy is in my town, I need to, have, I need to go check this out. And Luke chapter 19 speaks about a man, Zacchaeus, who was in that exact situation. Jesus had come to his town And he wanted to see who this Jesus was. We read about him in verses 3 to 4. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he, he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. So we learn a little bit about this guy Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. Now, to give you a bit of a cultural background, tax collectors, nobody liked them. Now, 
Israel was being occupied by the Romans, so taxes were going to the Romans. So they didn't like that, that the, the money, their taxes that were being collected were going to people who had taken over their land. But also tax collectors were known to be extremely dodgy. Like they would forcibly take far more than they were legally entitled to. Nobody wanted them. They were kind of the scum of the earth in terms of the way people perceived them. So even though he was rich, he was far from popular. And he's curious to see Jesus. Like he's heard all the stories like everybody else and he's like, I want to see this guy with my own eyes to see if there's anything to who this Jesus is. Now this is where we find out how serious Zacchaeus actually is. Like we're told, politically correct terms, he was vertically challenged. He was short. And so the crowds are around him and he can't see it. So he's got two options. If it didn't really matter to him much who this Jesus was, he could just say, oh, well, there's too many people here. I'm short. Sucks to be short. And get on with life. But that's not what he does. He runs. Again, cultural background. People didn't run in those days it was considered undignified. Particularly for a rich man, you wouldn't see them running. And he climbs up a tree so he can see Jesus. So if you want to picture this idea of a rich man, unlikely to be running, climbing a tree, just in your mental mind, picture Donald Trump going for a run. You might need to be creative there on that one. Climbing up a tree to see someone. And a sycamore tree was a great tree for him. They, they grow and the branches go out at a pretty low height, which is helpful when you're short. So here's Zacchaeus up this tree. It's a serious effort he's made because he's like, this is my chance to get a glimpse of this guy I've heard all about, to see if there's anything to him and I'm not going to miss out. And if you're visiting this morning, whether by choice or someone's encouraged you to come along and you thought, okay, I'll come along to church with you, then I want you to think the same way. This is important. Don't miss out your opportunity to see who this Jesus is. You may even find that you are more ready or prepared than you think you were. So our first one is waiting to be ready. Just think about these two guys. You've got Jesus and Zacchaeus. They're not exactly on the same page. You've got Jesus who is deeply popular, who has a reputation for being kind and doing things for people. And then on the other hand, you've got Zacchaeus that everybody detests and has got a reputation from taking everything from people. Now, Zacchaeus would have been well aware what people thought of him. It wasn't like a secret that people didn't like tax collectors. It was very well known. And he probably would have been equally aware that there's a big gap between his character and the character of this Jesus who is coming to this town. And he's probably even going through his mind, if there is something to this Jesus and I want to have anything to do with him, I'm probably going to need to change a little bit. I, we, I don't fit in the same spheres or the same circles as this guy. And I've noticed it's not just Zacchaeus. We all do this. We find ourselves in a setting where we think someone's in a different kind of class than we are. And we, th- if we think, if I want to hang around with them or I want to have anything to do with them, I'm going to have to do something to to bridge some of the obvious gap that separates the two of us. I remember one time when I was working at a Christian youth camp 
We had a school group in and a young girl came up and she was looking quite upset and she wanted to chat to me about something. And she said, Steve, these are the best clothes I've brought to camp. Can I, am I allowed to go to chapel? Like in her mind, she thought, to go to a church-like building, you need to do something or prepare a certain way or to reach a certain standard, even just to enter a building. That's what she thought. She was quite relieved to find out she could have turned up in tracky dacks and a tank top and all would have been good. But in her mind, to have anything to do with Jesus, you needed to get yourself in the right position. You need to dress right. You need to act right. I don't know how she would have gone if it was actually seeing Jesus like, like Zacchaeus here. So what actually happened when Jesus saw this despised tax collector? When he came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So at the start of the chapter, we see Zacchaeus is kind of curious. We probably should have a look to see who this Jesus is. But what brought the two of them together was initiated by Jesus. Jesus sees this man that everyone despised and he says, hurry, come down, I must stay at your house today. Jesus knew exactly who this guy was, knew exactly what he was like and he didn't say, no, you need to lift up your game then maybe we can come around for tea and scones on another day at a time that's appropriate for you. He says, right here, right now, who you are, I want to spend time with you. Zacchaeus didn't need to do anything to make himself worthy enough that Jesus could approach him. And the good news is that it means that for all of us, none of us can be in a position we are so bad or wicked by anyone's definition that we're outside of the realms of being someone who Jesus might approach who Jesus might want to have something to do with. In this occasion, it's a despised tax collector named Zacchaeus. But just immediately before the bit we had read was a blind, poor man who, again, like Zacchaeus, wanted to see Jesus. And I think Luke has intentionally put these two stories back to back to say whether you're rich, poor, blind, see, no matter what social class you're in, Jesus has come to seek and save that which is lost. It's got nothing to do with your status in society. It's got nothing to do with how good or how bad you are. Jesus can come to you today. Jesus was just, is today just as ready and willing to save today as he was in the day of Zacchaeus and the blind man before him. He's also just as willing and able to change people today as much as he was then. Now there's a lot of details that are missing that we don't see in in Luke chapter 19. We don't see the whole process of how it is that Zacchaeus came to place his trust in Jesus or what thoughts went through his mind through a curiosity to see him and check him out to thinking... This guy's the real deal. This is the, this is the guy we've been waiting for. What we do know is Jesus has gone to Zacchaeus' house. The people are mad. They think, this shouldn't be. We know who Jesus is. He shouldn't be in this guy's house. Does he know what this guy's like? They presume that Jesus is only for good, perfect, moral, ethical people. 
But no, he knew exactly who Zacchaeus was and says, I must go to your house. And while they're there, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, something's happened to Zacchaeus. He's already recognized this guy is my Lord. He's my master. He's the one to I belong to. He says, Half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it four times. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. That's a big change, isn't it? We introduced to a guy who's rich and greedy, who takes from people. And as he encounters the one who is the hope for all nations, the Lord, the Saviour, he instantly, his natural response is, man, I don't want to live like this anymore. He says, I'll give away half of my stuff. And if I've done the wrong thing by anyone, I won't just give them back what they've got. I'll give them back four times as much. It's what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This was a massive day from Zacchaeus, from curious to a child of God and transformed by Jesus all in the space of that one day. Remember one of the biggest questions I had when I started to think, I think there's something to this Jesus, was I might believe the facts about him, but surely he can't change a bloke like this. Like, I know what Christian life should look like, but no, no, that's not for me. Can he really change me? Can he really change you? Well, the answer is yes. In my situation, I wish it was as quick and as dramatic as it was for Zacchaeus. It was much more of a slow process, so don't be discouraged if that's your experience as well. But to go back to that phrase, it gives me the sighties to see God saving and restoring and changing people. Because it's, it's his nature. He is a saviour. It was announced to the, by the angels in this day. A child has been born, a saviour who is Christ the Lord. He's still a saviour, it's still the desire of his heart. This Jesus was born and announced it born to be the saviour, to save us, to rescue us. I remember when I used to think that was the dumbest thing I ever heard. Because to say save or rescue means that you there's something wrong and I thought things were pretty sweet. I don't need save, I don't need I don't even need help. I'm still not that great at accepting help. We need to be saved from our sin. That is, saved from our dishonouring the one who has given us everything. He didn't just create us, he created the whole world, everything that we see and we enjoy. He created us and he put us in this world to enjoy it that we might see his glory and come to know who he is. To not honour the one who's given us absolutely everything. What a, what a vile act. Even to Adam and Eve he says, if you eat from this one tree, they could have done whatever they liked, but just not this thing. He says, you, you choose to do it your own way, you will die. And we celebrate Jesus' birth, come into this world, 
Because he came with a mission. He came with a mission to willingly lay down his life to bear a death penalty that wasn't his to bear, that you and I belong to every single one of us because all of us have lived in a way where we thought, no one's telling me what to do. I don't need anyone else's help. God, God, if he created the stuff, good on you. And we dishonour him and we deserve a death and he bore it on our behalf to reconcile us back to himself. He wanted us to be in relationship with him. We see what he does here with Zacchaeus. Jesus says, come down. I want to live with you now. I want to be part of your life. As Jesus said in the Gospel of John, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus still comes to broken people, to be in a relationship with them, to live with them, to live inside them, to change them, to transform them, to save them. So what are we waiting for? The answer is there's nothing that we need to wait for. You don't need to wait to see Jesus like Zacchaeus. You've seen something of this Jesus this morning. This has come from Luke's Gospel, which is one of the four biographies we have in the Bible of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And on the back table where you came in, there is a couple of these presents, which has the full copy of the Gospel of Luke, as well as another book that explains um, for the details about why Jesus coming to this world is good news. So if you'd like one, then I'd encourage you to take that as a gift from us to you. But you don't need to wait to be ready. I remember when I started being mildly curious about Jesus, I started what I call the Clean Up My Life program, so somehow I had to reach a particular standard before I could have any chance of coming to God. We've seen this morning, Jesus came to Zacchaeus there and then, exactly what he was like, despised, dishonest, stealing from people. He says, today's your day. Salvation's come to your house today. You don't even need to wait to become someone that Jesus can change. Much to my own surprise, he did change my life. And even the fact that you're here this morning, it might even be that Jesus is calling your name as he did Zacchaeus, saying, turn. Turn from living for yourself. Turn back to me, the one who created you and gave you everything. Trust me, walk with me, live with me. I want to live with you as your, as your king, your good king. The king who gives life, breath, everything and blesses you with every good gift. The reason Jesus gave at the end is why he acted in this way in verse 10. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. It's weird that sometimes when we're lost we think, oh, I'm not good enough for God. That's what I'm about. This is, this is my mission. I love lost people. I don't care how lost they are. There is no extent that's too lost. He's still in the business of seeking and saving the lost. And it could be that today, trigger warning, that you could really begin living your best life. Now, I know people don't like that phrase because it gets used in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways. What do I mean? Living your best life today. Well, think about it. When a manufacturer makes something, 
the best use for that something is for it to be used to do the thing that the manufacturer made it for. Like if the person who made that piano, if I decided the best thing I can do with that piano is to use it to bung up the missing leg on a piece of furniture, you might think that's not the best use of it. And when God created us, he created us, as we see right back in the garden, to be in a relationship with him, to live with him, to enjoy the blessings of a relationship with him and the blessings of all of his good things that he's provided for us. That's what we were created for. That is our best life. That's the life we were created for. Adam and Eve got it wrong. Even though they had everything at their hands, just told not to do this one thing. They're like, no, no one's telling me what to do. That looks yum. And Jesus came to reconcile us back, to give us an opportunity to come back to him, to experience all that he's planned for us, to know him, to live with him, to enjoy him. That's why we celebrate his birth, because he came on a rescue mission for lost people like you and I, to restore what had been broken. And unlike Christmas, it's not just something you get excited about for a few days in December, then it all kind of fades out of the background. We're talking about an eternal hope for this life and for the life to come. This is one of many reasons why there is a much, much better Christmas. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have provided us with everything we need. We thank you that we don't need to be good enough to accept what you have done for us in Jesus. We thank you that you can change even the most stubborn of hearts, even the sort of person who, who like myself, was quite convinced that I wasn't going to change certain aspects of my life. Lord, you give us, you make us new. You give us a new heart to desire new things. You give us life and joy in abundance. And we pray that the true meaning of Christmas, the greatest joy that has been given, will be heard, seen, investigated and responded to and that you would be calling the people to yourself by their name to save them, to change them and to transform their life. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.